This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You may have kids, you may have a wife that loves you very much, but like there's something not wired right and you're you're going down this path so having a dog there you look down at the dog and you're like i can't leave this dog this dog needs me all right everybody welcome back to the tng podcast i'm your host marcus luttrell every week it's my job to fire you up to ignite the legend inside of you and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're gonna show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Team Never Quit Podcast. As always, thank you guys for listening and watching, and please don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button. So today, before we get to our very special guest, let's kick it off with our usual Patreon question of the day. And I like this one today. So, if you were trapped on an island forever, who would you choose to be with you, they have to be a celebrity. Marcus. What's, what celebrity would you choose? <laughs> I want my very own celebrity, Marcus Luttrell. <laughs> I mean, the common sense person in me would say like Bear Grylls. Bear Grylls. Yeah, exactly. Bear Grylls. Like somebody, Bear, that, yeah. As soon as he said deserted island. <laughs> yeah. The first person to rule in my head was Bear. Yeah, or that uh, there was another show with another guy. Uh, Cody, that you, right? Yeah, that used to be put into like really remote areas. <laughs> what happened areas. to those dudes, man? I, you know, for all I know. I watched that one too. Yeah. Bear Grylls. Yeah. I'm trying to think if if we could get a, if if Bear Grylls could somehow coach something with maybe Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. They had they had a nephew that was yeah. a badass like both them. Yeah. Have you seen Gordon Ramsay's Uncharted, where he goes out into remote areas and like? I only catch glimpses of those because yeah. the time I have in front yeah. of TV now. That's a great idea for a show. We should pitch that to somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, one of them dudes, but Bear Grylls most certainly. Right. Hunter's shaking his head. I'm thinking you want a woman. No. no. <laughs> oh hell, man! Now you're No, I would choose. Okay, so then let me go. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with uh, you know Martha Stewart. I feel like that would be useless. <laughs> I I would like Joe Rogan. I think the conversations we could have would just be endless. We'd go into so many conspiracies. We'd just have the best time. And he hunts. He can yeah, he can hold his own. I mean yeah. we can we can hold our own, still stay alive, but also get to have fun with it, you know? All right, the pod father, right? That's what yeah. you're going after? The pod he's, father. He's a good one to have. <laughs> he's a good one to have. I'm still sticking with mine. I you. love you too, baby. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, that was a good Patreon question. All right, let's get into this. So thanks for coming on here and doing this. Thanks what, for having me. Uh, what, a few of the things that you started up, one of them I'm real passionate about, um, didn't start off that way, but I kind of had to live the life to understand the life. That makes sense. Yeah. So let's back up a little bit. T- 
tell us a little bit where, where are you from? Where'd you come out of? Uh, North Texas. So my family's ranch is about an hour south of Dallas near Corsicana. Okay. Uh, in between Barry and M House. So seventh generation Texan. I know Texans are like crossfitters. They love to they love to tell you how far back their lineage goes. But love uh, to. Yeah. Navarro County actually was named after so a great ancestor of mine, uh, Samuel Wilson, settled Navarro County with Jose Navarro. Yeah, so um, I'll go all back back and forth with you all day about history yeah, and the families. Yeah. And now that the, you can trace your ancestry and everything, this is my favorite thing yeah. to do because that's oh, what arguments I are love supposed it. to be about. Like, love ours it. was the first one here. Yeah. yeah. I lived in Waxahachie for a little while, yeah. which isn't too far from there. We yeah, had it was to, like 25 minutes. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great historic town. If anybody loves Texas history, yeah. Waxahachie has a lot of really good preserved history there. Yeah. And it's ripe for like a renovation of their downtown area, like mm -hmm. Corsicana too, because yeah. Corsicana is a little depressed right now, to be honest, when you yeah. go through there. But why? What happened? Because it's right there at the bend. I don't feel like it gets enough attention. It's I because honestly, it's the highway forty-five just yeah. kind of destroyed Corsicana. It just turns right, yeah. right before yeah. you get in there, right? Yeah, forty-five, like the business loop, and what, did seventy-five used to go through there? No, I don't think so because it was it's it's north on 45, 75 is a little further north than Corsicana. I feel like but. when forty five came through because it's like an hour south of Dallas yeah. or so, when people are either leaving Dallas, going usually going to Houston or yeah. going to Houston to Dallas, nobody wants to stop right outside yeah. of Dallas. It's like let's just get there. That's a good point, especially because Ennis is like the fast food mecca. Yeah, but you want to be there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, man, the police there are serious oh, about that. that. I'm buddies with all of them for that very reason. Absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> they don't play around, man. They're no. waiting on you. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, but... Uh, God bless them dudes, man. My great-grandfather, I didn't know this until years ago, uh, but my great-grandfather was actually the congressman for Texas 6. Oh. Uh, uh, congressman Elsie's current district yeah. now. And I didn't know that until I started getting involved in policy and politics. And my dad was like, oh, hey, did you know this? And I was like, no, why did you never tell me this? They don't bring How stuff funny. like that up. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, one generation removed. They don't talk about that cool yeah. stuff. I guess because we thought it was boring when we were kids. Yeah. I, I can't figure it out. My great-grandfather was a state rep for Louisiana. Yeah. And I never knew it until, like, Morgan got elected. And then my, uh, my grandmother was like, oh, did you know your great-grandfather was the rep for louisiana i was like yeah. no i had no idea to your point though like i love genealogy when Me covid too. hit i just did so much and i had a free time on my hands i just started doing genealogical research i forget who said it but somebody said it's a humbling experience because you can research these people that have full and complete lives and there's very little records of their existence mm -hmm. right so it kind of it, it it does a good job of humbling you these people that have all this stuff. I've gone background. really far into the rabbit hole of my genealogy and Marcus's. Um, and I can, I get stuck there. Mm -hmm. I, I just want to live in that hole of like finding out who everybody was. And if I could, I would travel and go to all the courthouses and dig up wills and different things. Cause I just, I find it so interesting. Yeah, it really I love is. It. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so you grew up in that area, and then... College at Texas A&M, but I actually joined the military before I went back. I was enlisted, so I went straight out of high school. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Because um. <laughs> I'm training a kid right now, and he's kind of, what, what, what do you want to do? It's difficult. I don't know if you if you had this problem, but when I was in high school, I didn't, had no idea what to do. Yeah. I didn't think I was smart enough to get through all the colleges, but I was good enough to get in. It was one of those. Some of those kids, just like, hey, man, you're going to do great. And, mm -hmm. and they did do great. I, I didn't have the study habits, so I was always hesitant. Yeah. 
So you, when you came out of high school, you went straight into the military? Well, so I, you know, my mom, and my dad got divorced when I was three. So I spent summers on the ranch with my dad, you know, bailing hay and in the Texas heat and, uh, and then school years with my mom and I have two older sisters. Where'd she live? Uh, uh, Ulus. So like right smack dab outside of the DFW airport pretty much. And, uh, but I had two older sisters and my mom. So I was like swimming in the estrogen ocean during the school year <laughs> and I got involved in boy scouts and, uh, really like relished all the service projects and things like that, that we did. Um, so I felt kind of, I didn't know what I wanted to do out of high school. How far did you go in the scouts? I was an Eagle scout. Yeah. Okay. So that's a big deal. It's yeah. a huge deal. I, I think I'm more re- people need to talk yeah, I, about I, I ran yeah. Eagle, Eagle scout. the other day Yeah, in Mississippi. Found out he was an Eagle Scout just haphazardly. I don't know how it even came up in conversation, but y'all need to, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Well, they give, uh, when you enlist, they give you a rank, like one rank. They absolutely, the military, that's yeah. right. They bump you up another yeah. one. If you, if you show that sucker to police officers, to if, if you people read that on, on resumes, I'm talking about heads of bank, heads of state. Yeah. Yeah. If they <laughs> see that, at yeah. that age to complete that task... And this family, when the kids are raising up, I was like, hey, man, you're going to be a Boy Scout and get your black belt. Call you a black eagle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you, you, you know what I'm talking about? If yeah. you have those two things, yeah. if you can be an Eagle Scout, you can get your black belt. By the time you're 18, you got your driver's license, I don't worry about you. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just think those two things get you ready for life. I mean, I, I agree. And, and because, like, I spent school years with my mom i didn't have like a, a positive male influence like during this year except for my scout masters and uh football coaches and you know i was self-aware enough to know at the time that i probably wouldn't take college too seriously need a little kick in the pants and uh, i didn't want to do what my sisters did which was uh you know work two jobs while they were in college take out loans and whatever so i said if i decide to go back to college i'll have the gi bill right um, so, and my mom said, you can either get a job, join the military or go to school, but you're not staying in my house after 18. So I had to make a choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Which that was is a, most people. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was a, and that was a great option. Almost for, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you're born into a trade or a family trade. Yeah. Well, like, and those it, aren't bad options. No, they're now not. Now that I know what I know and how fast that goes yeah. and, and the doors it opens up. I, there's there's not a problem with it. Well, and in today, so many of my peers are bogged down by like student loan debt and can't buy a house and all this stuff. And I, I financially, I feel like I'm so much more ahead of my peers because I had those resources mm-hmm. and 80% of the military is enlisted. And a lot of them come from disadvantaged backgrounds where they don't have, you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck or parents or the military fixes that. Yeah. The military is right. a great option for everyone. Anything. No matter what you don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Period. Yeah. You just go and you figure it out while you're there. And then you can go to college for free yeah. or you can like, there's so many other things you can do. Well, the intangible benefit of like having a group of people that come from all walks of life. And honestly, America could use more of this because you come from such diverse backgrounds and you forget all of your differences and your bullshit oh, yeah. to accomplish your mission. Right. And, yeah, absolutely. And have people that you serve with that are lifelong friends and are a support group, which frankly I think is why veterans kind of struggle when they get out is because they lose that support system and and uh, friends that they serve with and everything like that. But It's sad to see how um, – like we went to visit the uh, in Coronado, the SEAL team base, and they were telling us – or it was actually the BUDS compound – and they were telling us that um, recruitment is at like an all-time low yeah. right now. And it's basically for every branch. And it sucks because 
kids these days, they want to do something on the computer. They want to do easy. Yeah. Whatever is the easiest, let me slide by. And it honestly, it drives me crazy. I'm like, just go and do some work. It's a couple of years of time and you meet awesome people. Yeah. And then you get the skills and the funding to be able to do whatever after. Yeah. Well, Mission Re uh, Roll Call, uh, I'm executive director of this national organization, Mission Roll Call. Uh, we commissioned a national research study last year that said that 67% of Gen Z does not know a veteran or somebody uh, on active duty. And military service is becoming a family business. You have 80% of veterans reporting an immediate family member that served and like less than 1% serving on active duty in any given year. So the the further and further I away when that separated when did that schism happen do you do we know what year that was uh 60s 70s after vietnam no i mean it, it before I, well, that well it would have to have been uh, is I, that's a good question i, I mean, mean i didn't know I, there wasn't supposed to be a test I, yeah I, I no i mean i just I'm, i was curious because i i never thought about it until you said it like that yeah that there had to be a point to when hey we do this in our family and then yeah there's so many people that don't under when you say you don't understand that, and there are people like, how could you not see that? How can you not understand? They don't. Yeah. They just don't. It's a it's a way of life. That it's an all volunteer live, force. You have you to can volunteer. Live a life in America and exist outside of the military and all that violence and like that, and just completely not understand us. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's that old saying from the inside you can't explain it, from the outside you can't understand it. Mm -hmm. A little bit, unless you know somebody that either is doing it or did it. How about that for a duality? And, and you, you, now you can understand and why those two have friction. Yeah. Because after a while, they, they, there has to be there's some animosity there. Yeah. So you were in Eagle Scouts, and then you decided to go to the military from there? Yeah. So my now brother-in-law, then my sister's boyfriend, honestly, he was the only person I knew that had served. He was a Marine, um, was in the first battle of Fallujah, and I really looked up and respected him. And so that's kind of why I chose the Marine Corps. Uh, and, uh, so that's what got you? I like yeah. asking guys now. Yeah. So he was a storm, right? You said Fallujah. No, no, no. He, he was in the first battle of Fallujah 03 or 04. Oh, so it was, okay, yeah. so it's GY. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's usually a, there's something that grabs you. Yeah. Whether it's a documentary back then or a TV show or somebody you know. Yeah. It's, it's there's something, a hitch that gets you. Even as a kid, like I was in, I, I loved military history. I loved history generally. And, and the Boy Scouts, like I knew I wanted to serve somehow. Uh, I just didn't know what branch I wanted to serve in. And again, because he was the only person I knew and I really respected him and still respect him, obviously, as a person, uh, that was what drew me more than anything else. He's plus, a Marine? Yeah. He looked like a Marine? Yeah, we have the best dress uniforms. Yeah, I was going to say, you have the jawline. Y'all do have the best uniforms. Yeah, I mean, this is a well-known fact. I'm yeah. real open about talking about it, too. I mean, yeah. you got to get them in there somehow. Yeah. 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 The they got to get you guys somehow. And if yeah. you, with anything about the Corps, they're, they look sharp. Uh -huh. They even look sharp after they get out. Yeah. I was, um, we were doing an event and there was a, two Marines with me. One was 98 and the other one was 101. Both of them were colonels, full birds. And when they, when I stepped and looked at them, man, I mean, they were khakied out top to bottom and the, the razor sharp seam all the way down. You could, those buckles were shined up. They, they look sh at yeah. that age, just sharp. I mean, you, that uniform has gotten so many guys and girls. It's just, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, yeah. 
It's like you remember you that guys old, got lucky uh, on that one, man. That old commercial with the guy in the dress uniform that like slays a dragon with the NCO sword <laughs> or something like that. It's, That's right. I, I forgot mean, about that commercial. Yeah. Yeah. Ours are great. Navy. No, they're not. So anytime I give you guys compliments, it's because I'm thinking about how ours are. You know, yeah. The Cracker Jacks. They're yeah. they're terrific. <laughs> and why would you put 13 buttons on a pair of pants when you know that sailors love to drink beer? About the buttons. That's a joke. Like that, that's a running joke on Navy guys is we love to drink beer and there's 13 buttons across those pants. Yeah. Try getting them suckers undone quick. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, to yeah. Somebody had to come up. They had a great sense of humor. We what year did baby. you enlist? Uh, 2008. Oh, yeah. you're young. Uh, well, you know, uh, the gray hair throws people off, but <laughs> that's what happens when you work and live in D.C. It's a stressful town and you know it gives you gray hairs, but. <laughs> Yeah, 2008, uh, and served for six years, uh, did a deployment to Afghanistan in 2011. So that was like peak surge down in Helmand Province. And I was going to say, 10-11 is a hard year. Yeah, um, I, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't have, I, I was a diesel mechanic by trade, and I got, so I spent most of the time um, on fobs and things like that, but uh, I got OJT'd as a wrecker operator, which is essentially like a military tow truck. So yeah. I did that uh, a handful of times, and um Honestly, my, my, my military service is not anything special, and it's not anything that was, you know, super high speed. Yeah, all you guys always say that, man, so I'm going to cut you off right there. In, in Afghanistan, in those years, especially the, the wreckers, like we you're talking about like pathfinders. Is that what you're rolling with? Get out anytime something on the routes and clear all yeah, that stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, they don't give... There's a lot of things y'all don't know about the military. There's a lot of organizations they don't ever talk about. One of them is what, he used, what that is. Like before we would go out, I mean, they still have to send these dudes out to because there's bombs everywhere. Mm. And to watch those guys go out and come back in, just blown to blown to pieces. That was the craziest job, I thought, dealing with the explosives. Or even just transporting things, you know, from one fob to another, I would think it's well, just. The majority of the uh, casualties in, in GWAT came from, you know, fuel convoys. Mm -hmm. and That was the worst. When yeah. we would land and you have to transpose to a different fob, and there, there could be a route that was five miles long. If that, three miles to get to here to there. Yeah. And we would have to go 400 miles out of the way because they had there was so much uh, munitions in there. And at one time, record operators, and again, like I, you know, I, that wasn't my primary job, so I didn't do that like all day, every day, the entire deployment or anything. But um, uh, it was, uh, I think, the second highest fatality rate in the Marine Corps from 09 to 11. Because like they knew that we were going to go out when things got blown up and you know try to recover them and bring them back to base, secondary IDs and uh, ambushes. That's when they got good on us. When those IRLs came in, there would be the second tertiary explosions because they'd bait. There'd be a bait up, pull somebody in, then everyone would come in to get that stuff. Man, they'd hit them suckers too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I you know um, I think part of the origin of my story and how I got involved in veteran advocacy though, like during the last part of the deployment as our replacements were coming in and taking over operational uh, responsibility, I volunteered a lot of my time because we, you know, we went from working 12, 15, 16 hours a day to like eight. And I was like, I, I'm bored. I need to do something else. So I went to go volunteer at the Bastion Trauma Center uh, because I, in my mind, when I got back, I was entertaining the idea of going to be an EMT or a firefighter or something along those lines. So I wanted to kind of get a taste for what that was like. Um, obviously, it's a little different, a trauma center in a war zone than like something mm. you would do back here. Um, but uh, a lot of that stuck with me more than anything else was working working at Bastion. That's so. where I spent my free time. Yeah. That's where I spent my free time. I'd go in there working those clinics. 
Yeah. And then the ORs, and you see them, them stuff that come in. Because we would work, a lot of people don't know this, but we work on the enemy. Yeah. Or if civilians get hurt, Local they can walk up to the front yeah. gate. Yeah, they can walk up to the front gate and get the same medical care we do. Yeah. Which is so I learned some of my best me. trauma skills working in there. The doctors yeah. are great, too, because they're military docs. Yeah. So if you're a medic or if you're trying to learn that stuff, yeah. that's when I really honed in on my EMT skills. Yeah. I was doing that. And I wasn't a doctor or a nurse or anything like that. I just was in there to learn and do anything I could to help. So, like... Part of what what uh, what got me was uh, we had uh, like kids that would come in on medevacs, and uh, there was like a six seven year old that came in, and I remember, um, I mean he didn't have a chance; he had lost too much blood before he came in, right? But um, he was sitting there bleeding out, and the doctors were just like talk to him, talk to him, and just make him feel comfortable. So I was like trying to reassure him, and I grabbed his hand, and he had this Zippo. I don't know if it's fake or it's real. I still have it, but. Um, this Zippo lighter that I'm assuming another Marine had like given to him mm. and you're sitting there and you just like feel the life go out of him, mm. Right. And it's like stuff like that, that just tends to stick with you a little mm. bit, you know? Yeah. Well, that's what gets everybody in war. Yeah. It's not what they, it's not fighting. Yeah. That's not, that's not what gets you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause that's what you train for. Yeah. That, boom. Right there. there. There's a, I call it the void, yeah. man. There's, there's integrum spaces in there that we get stuck in that you just kind of like, uh, you know, so I gotta say all the time, like I never even heard of it. Yeah. Why don't you train for you can't. that kind yeah. of stuff? Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's so many variables that go into that, and then the especially when we get over to wherever it is we're going, because you can't really train for that, and then you throw the people in the mix with with how they react. Yeah. Because here's the one thing the movies can't do, and no one will ever be able to imitate, is the attitudes. Yeah. That we have when we're fighting a war, you can't replicate that unless you're actually in the war. Yeah. And. That's the toughest thing to get back when we come back here is switching that frame of mind, that frame of reference back over. That's why a lot of guys stay hidden. They, they go inside because, because of that. Well, you spend 13 weeks at boot camp, then you go to combat training, job school, all this stuff. Cumulatively, it could be six months to a year and a half, two years when you account for you know, all the training that uh, special operations does before they go out into the, in, into the fleet. Um, you spend so much time training, and unless you go skill bridge or something like that, there I mean, the transition assistance program is garbage. We need to fix that. That's kind of I'm on board with that too. And just think about how long it takes to take a, a, a puppy after it's old enough to train and to where it's it, it'll kill. It's yeah. combat ready. That's yeah. not very long. Yeah. So think about how long we train humans. We do that for years, and then you, you send them to, out, out to fight. Man, you can't believe what that did to them. This is making me think of um, one of Marcus's teammates. He was in buds with Dan Luna. He has come up with this concept of training for pre-trauma instead of just being recovered you know like having a a reaction to trauma but actually training before that on all of these levels and um he has a whole program that he does with that and i think it's so interesting for things like that specifically things that are not typically trained about or, or um worked with but all of the things that have come back um and actually turning that into a program. 
I know there's a a, a guy, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, who wrote huh. a couple of books uh, I, on war, on combat. Yeah, I don't know who I, you, I know who he is. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I read his book. He taught us how to kill. Yeah, that's who taught us how to kill. Yeah, it, I mean, the, he was the one that did all the research on the military's conditioning after Vietnam because there were so many conscientious objectors and mm-hmm. people and. Um, and like psychologically teaching people how to killing is not a physical yeah. that, that part's easy. Didn't that part's Dave, easy, man? It's the mind thing that he, he he taught us. Dave Grossman interviewed like like for the military, not for a podcast or anything, but he he's my doc. He was one of his docs. Back. Yeah, is it really, absolutely. Wow. Oh, I know that man. Yeah. <laughs> when I say he trained us, he did. Mm-hmm. I got I face to face with that man, especially when I got back. He's I've never met him, but his books are... On Killing and on Combat. Yeah. I have them in the library. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, they're really good. They're fantastic. When, when we were getting... Yeah, if you could retro that one back around. So the reverse of that yeah. is what we need to implement now. Right. Like a reverse boot camp. I've yeah. talked about this. You know, we, 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 I was going back and forth with some of my guys. I was like, the last two years should be an enlistment for you to get out. Yeah. Well, your brother like, made you're, a great... you're going to a school. You're going to college. Like, what do you want to do? Like, yeah. what's your what, what do you what do you want to do? Not what your options are. What do you want to do? Yeah. And we market our own people, and then we send them to the universities and and all that. I don't know why we can do everything else. Yeah. We, I don't know why that. Part well, your brother made a great point at a, a congressional hearing last week or the week before, where he said, uh, you know, uh, from birth up to the point where you get out, right? pretty much everything's handled even when you're in the military and when you're a kid like people feed you people clothe you people um you know you you go to school there's discipline whatever and then you know men and women get out and they have to learn how to kind of be an adult again they've got to learn how to handle their finances and um of course this this is usually the people that that were in for one or two enlistment not people that stay up for 20 because they have to learn how to do this stuff but uh so many of these people that i mentioned come from disadvantaged backgrounds and they never have to uh, they've never had a, a steady paycheck before and they've never had housing, you know, taken care of and they get out and they have to relearn kind of all this stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So when you got out, you went straight to college or how did you find your I got out in 2014. I didn't have a job, wasn't in school, uh, was going through. Where'd uh, you come out at? Where would your last station at? California? Well, so, no. So I was actually, uh, after I got back from Afghanistan, I was in a reserve unit in Abilene, Texas, uh, at Dias So Air that's Force another Wales. way that, that I was talking to this kid. Is, hey, reserves are great, too. Yeah. Because you can actually go to college and be in the reserves, yeah. and they take care of you. Yeah. Reserves are tough, though, because you have to balance, like, these two lives. And... Army reserves, Marine Marine Corps reserves. Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, I, I mean, I what would. What about the Air Force reserves? I feel like I don't know. That might be. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let's be real here. I feel yeah. like being in the Air Force reserves would be the place to be to go to college. Yeah, I it, it's, I mean, I lived in DFW and my reserve unit was in Abilene, and then so occasionally they they'd change up through drill schedules on you, so you'd have to tell your civilian employer or your family, or you'd go do your two week annual training or whatever. It was it was pretty disruptive of of trying to go to school and uh, have a job and things like that. So that came with its own unique set of challenges. But I tried to, you know, go back to school and get some credits done and uh, went to the VA for some of the issues that I was dealing with. And they prescribed me SSRIs, which were terrible. Uh, So then I got out finally in 2014. And like I said, I at the time didn't have a job and wasn't in school, Uh, had just finalized like a pretty nasty divorce. And, uh, I, oh. yeah, it was, you hooked yourself up. Huh? I, I got my standard issue. Yeah, right. Standard issue divorce. right there. Yeah. As soon as you said that, I was like, good yeah. job. It was, uh, you, yeah, well done Marine. I mean, it was like, <laughs> it was, that was my, the toughest, one of my toughest periods. So April, 
Uh, I'm I, not laughing at you, man. I'm like, no, I, I, just, I, I, I get, I, I get, because I mean, you've you've been. I've there seen too, you guys right? go through that, man. It's the yeah, I, it's the hardest part for a Marine's life. <laughs> Yeah, and and my girlfriend will ask me like, "Why'd you do that?" And I'm like, "I honestly hey, looking knows? back on it, like I, I was like, young and dumb." And, and we're like, "Hey, bro, what? yeah, like I don't know, yeah, I, I don't." It's yeah. like a thing that happens. It's just yeah, um, but uh, you know, I, I was probably drinking too much at the time. No, and, I don't know about that. And like, uh, not, not not what you're in. I mean, no, I mean when I was out. <laughs> okay, and yeah, I was one of the. Yeah. I got out, and uh, so you know, one night I spiraled down, and I was probably about that far away from. You know, being a suicide statistic, and I had another Marine that came, banged on my door, and I was actually surprised that him banging on my door didn't like jerk my finger. But uh, he stayed with me the night. Obviously, knew what was going on, and um, I can't really explain it except for to say the next morning, I woke up. I I had been drinking too much, and I just I wasn't hungover at all. I was like very clear, and my mindset went from I have nothing to I have the opportunity to do anything because I wasn't tethered to anything anymore. I didn't have anything tie me down and uh second timothy 1 7 which is for god doesn't give us spirit spirit of fear and timidity but of power love and self-discipline was like the verse that stuck into my head it's mm, a good one and i i said you know i've got to figure out a way to figure out what i actually want to do now and find my purpose again and then also deal with the symptoms of post-traumatic stress and uh i had you know heard your story with daisy and everything and i had a friend of mine who had a service dog and so I stopped taking the pills, which had exacerbated my issues and, and went that route. But I had to pay like 10 grand of my own money to get Kaya, it's German Shepherd. But. Where'd you get oh, her really? from? A uh, breeder up in Dallas. Uh, and I used the last of my deployment money and uh, went to the litter. And, and the trainer said, I can work with this one, this one, this one, or this one. And I wanted the female. She was the only female. Uh, but the VA didn't provide any funding for that, and no, they don't, that's not the, they don't do that. Yeah, well, they do now, but um, yeah, not then though. Yeah, no, not then at all. And it was, uh, it's, it's, I don't know, it was different. It's like when the the VA has to change when the wars change. Yeah, is that fair to say that? Hundred percent. I mean, people are surviving wounds in the GWAT that they would never have survived before. Oh, right. Well, yeah, we gave them a plan to work on. And plus, we had civilians backing us up. Yeah. And that, that whole co component. And I, I think that the, everything is going through a, kind of an evolution, just like the wars have ended. And the, the VA, it, got, it just got hammered. I mean, two wars for 20 years. Look how many of us are going in there. Yeah. Just wearing that body armor, what it did to our spines and everything uh. like that. And I, I'm lucky now. I have a, a brand new one, but I, I just remember, especially. <laughs> Well, we're out in the cities, having to run block to block, and you just see those, just like all those weights just pile driving down top of you. It's the craziest thing. You don't think about it when you're in there. If somebody was asking me this morning at breakfast, like, hey, how's the pain compared to... I was like, I think we've always been in pain. We just didn't focus on it back then. And now yeah. we don't have anything in front of us to capture the pain. Yeah. So we concentrate on it. Yeah. So did, did the breeder train her? No. So uh, another friend of mine... Uh, was the actual trainer. So I took Kaya for about a month to bond with her teacher, you know, potty trainer, all that mm -hmm. stuff. And then she went off uh, to get trained. So she was specifically trained to uh, recognize when I was having a nightmare and she'd jump up in bed and lick my face and wake me up and stay with me until I, you know, heart rate went down and everything. Uh, or she would recognize when I was having an anxiety attack and would do what's called animal assisted intervention where she'd like get up in my face and, you know, distract me essentially to keep that snowball effect of whatever mm -hmm. was happening from getting worse. So, uh, she worked great for me 
And that's kind of why I went off and started advocating for service dogs for veterans because uh, I thought it was crap. I had to pay as much money as I did to get it. And, like, this is a viable option. And if you go on the VA's own website, it'll tell you that pills and therapy only work, like, 50% of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. So why are we not exploring other options? Like, uh, I know there's been a lot of discussion not only just about service dogs but about uh, descheduling cannabis so that we could research it. Cause anecdotally, I know a lot of veterans that have used that and quit drinking entirely and it helped them sleep better and it helped them do all these other things. Psychedelics. We're having a conversation in Congress about that. Now there's so many other, you know, hyperbaric was a thing for a minute or whatever. There's, there's other things that we can do that don't have the negative side effects of pills. And a lot mm-hmm. of people don't like prolonged exposure and all that stuff. So those are the worst pills. Yeah. Freaking worse, man. Yeah terrible like so what about all of the um nonprofits that have service dogs can't the va just work directly with those like all yeah. those industries i mean throw, there's a throw, ton throw, like they have the va has the names of all those and when, it, when one of our guys or girls comes into the va and checks in when they're coming out when i when i was issued my service dog it, that's what i thought was happening but in reality what was going down was i was getting issued to him so I, I had to switch it around. Like I was a dog walker, and this son of a gun got to go around the globe. I, mean, I took him <laughs> everywhere, bro. I mean, you know, I'm talking high end hotels. He has a fan page. This if if, hey, if I die, I want to come back as one of my dogs. Oh yeah, especially that sucker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Daisy got it hard because she was really young when well, she, was, she was got, killed. Yeah, I was brand new. Um, and then Marcus got Rigby that ended up being with him for 12 years. And Mr. Rigby through all of that, through all the, the movie, getting out of the military. And it was the best because it gives you something to focus on. Yeah. Well, I, I often tell people, uh, if you've ever owned a dog, you know, they're therapeutic, right? I mean, when, when fingers meet fur, something magical happens, but especially trained dogs can help you with the specific symptoms. But like, if you find yourself at that point where you got a gun in your mouth or you're thinking about, you know, getting drunk and taking a bunch of pills or something like that. Um, you know, I've, I've had to talk during the Afghanistan withdrawal. I had to talk down a couple of guys that were like, what the fuck did we do all this for? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you find yourself when you're in that position, like alone, you feel unlovable. You feel like nobody cares, which may be the farthest thing from the truth. You may have kids, you may have a wife that loves you very much, but like, there's something Un, like not wired right and you're you're going down this path so having a dog there you look down at the dog and you're like i can't leave this dog this dog needs me oh that's because dog needs some love yeah exactly that that's if, if you have one of those you'll see what unconditional love is yeah and when you can't if he's sitting there looking at you then you, you're thinking about something else actually you're thinking about something that loves you that's why you're always you can always focus on those suckers yeah and i, I mean i'm when rigby this is the hardest part but this is the best part for veterans but it's like i, I you know, you learn you learn about death again and again, right? And I had to put him down. Yeah, mm, it was so hard. We mourned his death, and I, I remember he was my best friend. We went everywhere. I talked to him probably more than I talked to anybody. He never said <laughs> one word to me. Yeah, that sucker never said one but word. But he to understood me. you. He did. People think like if you can teach a dog to sit, and they know what that word is, and you're with them. The thing about service dogs, you're always with them. Yeah. You don't think they learn what you what you're saying? Mm-hmm. They, I like, sh- they sure do, and they'll show up when they have that look on their face. And I didn't know this either, but service dogs, and I guess most dogs, man, they have bad days. They have attitudes. They can throw you attitude. If, if they, so if they're so inclined, if, if, yeah. if, you, if you know what you're looking at. Yeah. Dude, Mr. Rigby, used to, he would clown me sometimes and just have these looks on his face. And I knew what they say. I knew what he was saying when he'd do it. 
and it was the it, it was the best thing. I, it's almost like I went through that period of transition, and I didn't I didn't have the the hard part. It was because of him. I like to say that uh, you know uh, our connection with dogs, uh, especially a service dog, is a lot like our relationship with God. Right? There's a different level of consciousness. You're never going to be able to explain the internet to a dog like you're never going to be able to explain heaven to a human. There's just you're not going to get there. Um, and we may sin, the dog may poop on your floor or whatever, but you still love them unconditionally. It's a very pure relationship that is built off unconditional love and, and, and in its very kind of pure form. Sure. It's a perfect example of God's love. It's what dog and God is the same word back and forth. Yeah, yeah. It's like when you look at it, it's like, I wonder what God's love looks like. Probably just like that. Yeah. Always happy to see you. Mm-hmm. You know, even even if you don't, if you talk down to him and try to kick him in, and all that, they're just like, hey, he's like, hey, what's up? Let's go do something. Yeah. One of the stories that I I always go back to was uh, when Marcus and I first got together. Rigby went everywhere with us, and we had just come back from somewhere I don't know where, but it was hotter than heck in Texas, maybe August or so. It was real, real hot, and Rigby was in the back seat of the truck. We get home. I think we were unloading groceries or something. I don't know what it was. Anyway, we go inside, and after maybe an hour or so, we're like, where's Rigby? Marcus goes back to the truck, opens the door, and Rigby's just smiling and wagging his tail. Hey, and Marcus, nice to see you again. Yeah. yeah, Marcus said, we were married by then. He goes, if I, I, if I left my wife in the truck <laughs> for an hour, for an hour? she would be like, what the so f- <laughs> He was like, hey, man, what's up? Where are yeah. we going? I've been yeah. waiting. Yeah. I'm still, still sitting here. I thought this was what, what yeah, I was supposed I, to be doing. Yeah. I wish I was half the man that dog thought I was, yeah. too. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. My wife, she just shot me through the door. <laughs> and he was so happy to see Marcus. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I would be pissed at you. So it really does show this different yeah. kind of love that the dogs Always have. Always willing to go on any adventure. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, and, and again, that's why I did the Paws Act and, and wrote that. And then Congressman DeSantis was the one that sponsored the original version of the bill. Uh, Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina did the Senate version of the bill. And the original version, which, have had, which uh, would have had the VA provide grant funding directly to veteran organizations that provide these dogs, Canines for Warriors, Warrior Canine Connection, Labs for Liberty, all these, all these organizations. Yeah. Southeastern yeah. Guide Dogs. Southeastern Guide Dogs. That's where I get. And uh, but the VA, in all its wisdom, opposed it. <laughs> uh, not enough scientific evidence to prove that dogs can uh, oh, well, can help. Oh, that's what we're doing. Yeah, just, we're setting the examples and getting all the literature and, and the data just by the by doing it ourselves, and then yeah. we can pass it to them. If that's yeah. what we have to do, that's what we'll do. Well, so the 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 workaround for them though was like you know we're not going to provide funding originally. So the the compromised version of the Paws Act was. We'll have veterans train the dogs, and the training will be the therapy, and then they'll still get to keep the dogs at the end of the training. Oh, it's two different types of training. Right. And I, but I was also a little, I was like, okay, I mean, I'm not going to fight it because it gets more dogs saying, in the hands yeah, of yeah, veterans. Yeah, I get that. But, yeah, but yeah. also, there's less evidence to prove that training dogs uh, yeah, yeah, is yeah, helpful yeah. than I, the dogs themselves. Probably so. piss you off even more. Yeah. yeah. Train that sucker down. <laughs> yeah. And, right. uh, but so, so that was. It, that passed in uh, August of 2021, so that was kind of a rough spot in that whole Afghanistan. With yeah, but do you know how it is with us? Kind of the veterans thing that's it's small movements, right? Yeah. So if, just getting little things done. So like, now that it's in there, say, yeah. okay, well, we can course correct this now and course right. correct that. So what is what was the final 
Pause Act that went through. Yeah, so it was a pilot program because uh, Congress, you know, a lot of times if they uh, if they want to slow roll something, uh, pilot programs are kind of the thing. But um, a pilot program at five different sites around the country where the VA provides uh, funding for service dog organizations that provide, you know, the training that veterans can come out and train the dogs and then they ultimately get to keep their dogs. It's almost finished and then uh, hopefully we reauthorize a program and in a permanent way and kind of expand it. That's good. Yeah. There needs to be a competition between those academies too once I think with the military and that keeps them sharp. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if you go into the when you check it out of the military, which shouldn't that shouldn't be a thing. Once you come in, we got you. Like service should be we got your number. You get to put your civilian clothes in, go live in your town, and be a great citizen. Yeah. But we got an exit package. On the way out, we're going to send you to school if that's where you want to go. Oh, you get a dog, by the way. I don't care if you want one or not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Unless you're allergic to them suckers, but maybe who cares? Just yeah. suck it up and get it done. <laughs> you know, it's a life's tough. Yeah. And that'll give you something else to worry about than worrying about dumb stuff. Yeah. How did you learn how to write policy and... I just I um, I was interning on Capitol Hill at the time, and uh, you know this is part of my this is my my never quit story right mm-hmm. is I got laughed at a lot because I didn't know how to write policy or anything I had help from uh, you know lawyers that worked on Capitol Hill and say like this is what I want to do can you help me craft it this way and DeSantis's office was helpful at the time in crafting that, and I worked with them uh, a lot. But it was me. I was still a student at Texas A&M at the time, and I was flying back and forth to, to D.C. to advocate for this, spending my own money because I wasn't doing it on behalf of any organization or anything like that. Um, flying back and meeting with members of Congress, DeSantis's office would be like, hey, can you come meet with these people and these people? So I'd fly from College Station to, to D.C., and I was like crowdfunding support to try to fund these flights to, to get up here and do that. So how did you get hooked up with DeSantis's office when you were from Texas? He, uh, I mean, just mutual friends. Like a lot of times on Capitol Hill, it's like who knows who. And, and uh, I, I talked to a bunch of different people and said, this is what I want to do. Are you guys interested in sponsoring this? And a lot of people said, well, we're not on the VA committee or, you know, this isn't a historic, we don't have anything in our district. And at the time, DeSantis was, I mean, obviously he's a veteran. Uh, he had canines for warriors in his district. And so uh, when I brought the idea to him in his office, they were like, yeah, absolutely, let's do this. And so that was kind of how that worked out. That's and, awesome. um, yeah, so I, like I said, I was a student and would fly back and forth. Funny, funny story is that I was a, I was doing political science at A&M at the time. And, uh, I was missing a lot of classes. I was flying back and forth. And one of my professors, there was an exam day, didn't believe me that I was going to DC to like advocate. So I actually still have a like get out of class note from, uh, his office saying that like I could, you know, leave and, and, and go do that. And I walked in and I gave it to my professor and he was like, okay, you're good. Oh my gosh. How funny. <laughs> so did you actually go like, cause we did this recently. Um, and I never knew that this existed when you're wanting to kind of crowdfund and get people, um, get congressmen and senators on board for something, you literally have to go door to door and just meet with different staff members. Is that what you did? Yeah, essentially. I mean, I had help because Kaya was a cute dog, right? And she was always going with me. What was she? 
Uh, German Shepherd. Mm. So I, you know, I like to say that, um, you know, I was, I was the person that was doing the argument, uh, the arguing about it and trying to get people to support. She was really the closer. Mm. Um, and at one point we met with then speaker Paul Ryan, who called her the most powerful lobbyist on the Hill because like, oh, funny. you know, we'd walk into offices and people would be like, Oh, your dog's beautiful. Like, of course I'll support this and just sign right there. There's right, a dog. Exactly. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, had, they do that. I would go into members of Congress's office and, and they'd, uh, they'd be like, oh, I'm already going to support your bill. Can I just cuddle with your dog for like five minutes? And I was like, yep, yeah, as long as your co-sponsor gets whatever. Calms everything down. Yeah, it There's does. a few congressmen you'd see and you, every now and again, I'd go into some office and someone have a dog and just, yeah. it just kind of levels the playing field, whatever yeah. that is. It sure, it does. Yeah. So Rick and Sidney Perry um, helped get f- funding or something. They set up some deal at the small animal clinic at Texas A and M for veterans that yeah. uh, that their do- service dogs yeah. need veterinary care for. Do you know about that? Yeah. So that uh, was I think happened in 2018, 2019, um, and they did that with the Gary Sinise Foundation. that guy yeah no I, i've known gary for for uh, since i started you doing know him? This. yeah kaya the reason that i set up kaya's canines was because before um you know i, I mean i got kaya i never had to worry about her veterinary care because the gary sinise foundation or gary himself or other people would cover the cost of her care at the small animal clinic at texas a&m mm. and uh it was after i graduated and left and went to dc that they set up that permanent uh, thing at A&M, but it's not a national program. And so when Kaya got sick, uh, and ultimately I had to put her down, the video of her last flight on Southwest went stupid viral. Oh, like I think it, I saw that. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was viewed by like, at this point, I think 300 million people. Yeah, and, I've seen uh, So I, uh, I wanted to find a way to honor her legacy more permanently. Mm-hmm. And since veterinary care is not covered, even by like the largest service dog providers, because uh, it's a huge expense for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to set this up. So I set up Kaya's Canines to cover the cost of veterinary care for veteran service dogs. And That's that was so my nice. way. Well, I don't know how people have pets at this day and age. Yeah. I, mean, I, t- I, t- I take our two labs and it's a thousand bucks just to get the shots. Oh, yeah. yeah. Rigby. I mean, you can't have kids and pets these days. You know? we got to give one of them up. Right? Pet insurance <laughs> is expensive. It's unbelievable. Yeah. To give one up. It's freaking yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> When Rigby was reaching the end of his life, he got he was really sick and just needed Marcus was actually out of town for his annual red wing thing he does with the guys and I was freaking out because he wasn't breathing very well and I took him to our normal vet and they said I need to take him to um an emergency clinic and they wanted $9,000 up front. Yeah. And then it was going to be more after they saw him and I'm like what? Yeah. How in the world does does somebody pay for this? And I I actually called Rick Perry crying, and I was like, I don't know what to do. They want this, and I already spent this amount at um the vet, and I didn't want to bother Marcus with it because it was Red Wing weekend, and he said take him to A and M, and they didn't want to release Rigby. It was this big thing, and. 
I ended up taking them up there and they kept Rigby comfortable until Marcus could get there. And it ended up being on the anniversary of Operation Red Wing when Rigby had to be put down. Oh my gosh, it was so heavy. It gave something heavier than that. The dude who walked, man, man, the door's name was Michael. So he was just like, hey, I, I got this. I was losing my mind. Yeah. That was the only time I was freaking. Yeah. Yeah. But it major props to Texas A&M. Uh, best small school animal in the country. Oh, the yeah. best school in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Country Harbor. I mean, man. the. Uh, when great. Kaya got sick, and I, you know, I wanted. The reason I took her on that last flight is, you know, she's a Texas girl. I wanted her mm-hmm. to be, you know, laid to rest where she was born. And. Um, so a friend of mine works for Southwest and I told him and they, she couldn't walk. She had cancer, uh, and, and it spread everywhere. So they met us out at the curb with like a padded thing mm-hmm. and took us through security. Um, Jake Elsey was there on the flight and, and uh, great he's a great guy. I love that. <laughs> so, uh, Pilot. yeah, uh, and he, I hate uh, those guys, man. They're, they're always good. You know, you know whatever, they're just man. so good looking. <laughs> and like, he's always just yeah, dressed like very well. And talk about uniforms. They can yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Good but, for you, pilots. Yeah. <laughs> Way Marcus to go. Marcus and Jake are very close. So yeah. he's only saying that as a Raz. Yeah. Tell him Jake. I said it. Tell him. Yeah. <laughs> he <laughs> loves Jake. Okay, I mean, tell him I said it. Yeah. Um, good for you. You're good looking. So what? Yeah. Way to go. You're good looking. You know, you fly jets. Like, come on, get out of here. But, uh, we we uh, when we got back to Texas, we went down to Texas A and M, and we you know they let us kind of go around campus. The vice president's office gave us like a graduate student and one of those golf carts to go mm-hmm. around and take her. Went to the Bush Library in that lake, and that was you know uh, her final hours. Like the dean, the assistant dean of the small animal clinic was the one that actually showed up and mm-hmm. uh, on a Saturday. Dude, if I get sick, I want you to take me to A and M. The big Seriously. animal clinic. The big animal clinic. Just yeah. drop me in there and, yeah. and just. Just let them go to yeah. work, man. That yeah. place is renowned for that. It's fantastic. It's great. And the people are just fantastic. I, I miss Texas. Living in D.C. You they know? actually want to be there, I feel yeah. like. When you walk in there, it's what a hospitals would feel like. They're yeah. excited. They're like not excited. You're fucking, I mean, you're messed up, but yeah. they're like, hey, we got you. We'll fix yeah. you up. They got you, man. Yeah. They're just nice humans. They're great. So, um, yeah. I mean, I had great experiences with them. That's awesome. Yeah. So you do the Kaya's... Um, Canines, Canines yeah. and you did the Pause Act. What else are you working on? So my my full time day job actually, I'm the executive director of a, a national veteran uh, uh, nonprofit called Mission Roll Call. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have about a million veterans on our opted in text email list, uh, and we work with Congress, the VA, the White House. Anytime there's a piece of legislation or something that a member of Congress, you know, wants information about how veterans in their district, state, or, you know, the nation feel about something, we can pull them on that policy, the veterans, and kind of give the members of Congress instantaneous feedback on what they feel about that piece of legislation. Um, So that's, uh, and we also go around the country last year, we went to 10 veteran heavy areas of the country to get ground truth about what they were dealing with. Um, proposed changes to policy or regulation or things like that uh, and get an idea of what veterans on the ground are just talking about, which is why routinely our number one priority is suicide prevention. And that's what we talk about on Capitol Hill. So is there a place where you can recall all of us? Like there needs to be a place where every veteran, once you become a veteran, here's your veteran email. And and we, we all see the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and if how you do you get a hold of them? Us, if something went down, well, they have to opt in, right? But how do you 
how do people know about it? We've, I've never even heard we've about never it. We've never heard yeah. of it. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, guys, when we get out of the military, someone will go to the country. They won't talk to anybody. They'll get a yeah. job. They won't tell anybody they were in the military. Yeah. I just think there should be an app or something that we can all see in the morning, like a newsletter. Yeah. Or even part of your Deers account or something. Yeah. Like, it needs to be on something that you check. I mean, you guys know this as well as I do. I mean, some guys get out and they just want nothing to do with it. I get it. They I, want nothing to do with the bureaucracy. I, they don't I want to do that. the VA because they've heard horror stories. You know, they're they're certainly not going to maintain their accurate information on the IRR list and stuff like that in case World War Three breaks out. But um, I, you know, part of me, I don't. What think- about what veterans are doing? Like some place where you could check in, you could see where hey, these guys are having these Marines. There's two of them left. They're having a reunion here. Yeah. So we could send over some props or do something. We don't have anything like that. I mean, the closest thing I can think of is uh, the Independence Fund has something called Operation Resiliency that hosts people, uh, specific units. The problem is there's like 60,000 veteran nonprofits in the United States. I would argue that one-third of them are actually doing real good, meaningful work. Um and for veterans getting out, it becomes uh, paralysis by analysis because you have all oh, these options. Yeah, too many options. And there's right no here. there's no uh, like portal that you can go to. The closest thing to that is America's Warrior Partnership, the dinner where we met. They have uh, a network. Uh, it's literally called the network where you go online, and if you need a national or local resource, you submit your information, what you need, transportation. Acute financial care and a, and a case about. manager yeah, will reach out to you. We, and, so we don't have anything. If you're rolling in, there's an app. Like if you roll into a town, you hit it and it tells you where the VFW is, yeah. where that, where the, where the like all your resources, where, are. where everything is. Hey, there's yeah. a freaking MEP center We're right over here. Giving you yeah. an idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah roll I mean, with it. it's there's it, a bunch of Marines that live right here. Yeah. There's a bunch of this, that, and the other over here. Well, and Governor DeSantis actually uh, promoted this at one of his uh, events recently, like a portal that you can go to that, that the VA, you know, has. The problem with that is that the VA tends to mess up all the the tech stuff that they have. Yeah, electronic where are our nerds health at? Record. I know we have them. We have them in the military. It's I've not, seen them. It's 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 more the bureaucracy and trying <laughs> I've to. I've seen get, them. I know we got them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this shouldn't be a problem for us. Damn it. You know, between Silicon Valley and Austin, <sighs> Texas, and it really shouldn't be. I think it's more the you know trying to contract. I think and we got some slackers. Bureaucracy. That's I, what it is, man. Yeah. Need, somebody's somebody. I, I mean, think we so. Need to, Tighten up the shoelaces back on this yeah. freaking get get our boys and girls back together. It's way it's too hard. much fun when we're working together. Like, yeah, the way it works for us to to have these complications. Yeah, especially you know we're not doing it right if we got people killing themselves. Yeah. So to get on your mission roll call, how do people do that? Uh, just go to missionrollcall.org and. Uh, you can sign up for the text and email. It'll ask you some basic information, obviously, like um, you know where you're from, what branch of service, so how many years you served, things like that. Do you have Do you have the ID <laughs> me? Um, no, so we, we don't, but we have a data analyst that like goes through the data. So like somebody self-reports that they're a World War II veteran, and mm-hmm. their data like doesn't match up with that. All the other answers that they respond to. Um, and then, uh, we have the, we have somebody that goes in and, and removes people that are obviously lying about things mm-hmm. that they're reporting. But, um, yeah. So I think we should have a special organization like men in black that actually shows up to remove those people from yeah. doing that. Yeah. That's the worst thing you can do is that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, we don't necessarily, I should be clear too, we don't only have veterans on our, our email list. Sometimes we want to ask families, we want to ask caregivers things. And so we have uh, options that you can kind of self-report that you are a caregiver or mm. you are this or that. Because some of our questions we okay. ask. 
So I'm people. actually going to do it right now so I have so we can do this together. Okay. Um <laughs> missionrollcall.org, yep. And to go to sign up. Can we sign up? Oh, get involved. Is yeah, that what get you involved, do? yeah. Sign me up. Okay. There you go. Super easy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. people can just go to missionrollcall.org. Well, and the polls that we uh, that we uh, put out, their text and email polls, this is the beauty of it. You know, we ask questions. We say, you know, uh, do you use VA community care? And if they answer yes, how often have you used community care or something like that? It takes 30 seconds to answer these questions. Like, we're not asking you for a lot of time, but it's something that can we can give directly back to. Uh, I'll give you an example. And part, part of what we do is that, um, you know, the American Legion, the VFWs, you have, a, say a veteran has an idea for a piece of legislation or something like that. Um, they have to submit a proposal to their local post, and then that post goes to their state convention, the state convention votes on it before it can go to the national convention, national convention sends it to the D.C. office, and those are the people that actually lobby on Capitol Hill for this piece of legislation. So it has to go through those layers of bureaucracy. We wanted to cut through all that and get right to the veteran, ask questions, and get their collective voice back to, to policymakers. Um, and sometimes we ask questions like when uh, President Biden wanted to do student loan forgiveness, right? We didn't see other prominent veteran organizations that have a particular interest in education putting out anything about that, pro or against. Um, so we asked veterans, like, do you support this or do you oppose this? And like 77% said that they opposed it. And we were the only people that did any, I mean, I got a lot of crap for that because uh, people viewed it as kind of a partisan way and we're a nonprofit, but, uh, but nobody else was doing that. And mm -hmm. so I felt like it was something that the veteran perspective needed to be included uh, because it does kind of degrade the incentive of the GI Bill. You yeah. Know? So do people reach out to you that have things that they want passed? All the time, yeah, and that that's more so when we go do the uh, the trips down to veteran areas of the country. We have those personal conversations, and they say, you know, I have this idea, and I, you know, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Um, so do keep a binder because I would imagine some of our guys come up with some pretty good ideas. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean some stuff you would never want to implement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also that. You know what I'm talking about? I know that y'all have to have that. Like, oh, hey, you have to read this. That would be Marcus. Yeah. He That department, come up whatever with... that door is, like complaints, you know, just put me in there. I'm like, I mean, you're not going to believe what this dog wants to do, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Marcus always has the biggest, like, Walt Disney imagination for veterans. <laughs> yeah. Hey man, somebody's got to. I mean, what the hell? Well, I mean, with the status quo being what it is, Nobody we need more crazy speak. Like, what, what I'm talking about, man. Nobody we need else more, sticking up for like, us. Revolution, not revolutionary, but like, we need more bold ideas because, uh, you know, I mean, we haven't made meaningful progress on suicide. We haven't made meaningful, I mean, the Mission Act, uh, access to care, community care, that sort of stuff. We made some pretty decent progress on wait times and things like that. But so many of the things that we were talking about that were problems 20 years ago, we're still talking about today. Mm -hmm. um, and and you got to ask yourself why, right? The, the VA's budget was uh, $54 billion in 2001. It's now 340-something billion. They've hired uh, over 250,000 full-time employees since 2001. Their budget and their staff have grown exponentially. And we're still not making progress on suicide. We're still not making a whole lot of progress on wait times. We are making progress. Um, why? 
right? Like what's, what's the reason? We have all these resources, but we're not fundamentally fixing the problem. I'm trying to send the people onto the person, onto the soldier, as opposed to sending the soldier into the people. It's all out there. Yeah. Most of those nonprofits and then the organizations and the towns themselves, you just send them in there and they'll heal them. Yeah. We have everything we need. It's just we need to streamline it. Yeah. It, it's it's well, pretty exceptional. That's why I don't get down on it. I'm like, hey, I know the fix is like we have everything we need. Yeah. We just have to organize it. Well, in 2020, we, uh, well, I say we, but Congress passed uh, the Commander John Scott Hannon Act, which in the bill, it was a mental health bill. My contention is that we need to stop looking at suicide as mental health. It's not all mental health. Like, usually it's a conglomeration of acute financial stress, relationship stress, lack of transportation to be able to go to a healthcare appointment or go to your job or whatever. PTSD, um, man. Pissed yeah. off, tired, stoned, or drunk. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it is, it's parts of the human condition. It's like stuff that you can't fix and you with can mental get health deep into that. Yeah. And even, I, I get that. But even if you want to, even if it was a mental health condition, like the traditional approach of pills and therapy has not worked objectively. So I don't know like, how that was a good idea. I had to go down that route too. I had a blast. No one else had. No. Yeah. No one else had a blast when we were having a good time. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. So now that we know that that's, that doesn't work, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, gotta, we had to road test it. I mean, that's just what we do in the military. Yeah, what's, but now what's the other option? Yep. So we'll when you do out. your surveys, what have you seen the feedback is from all these veterans about how to curb the suicide rate? Yeah, it's a great question and one probably the one I get most often from when I you know do uh, podcasts or anything like that. The inside the Commander John Scott Hannon Act, there was a provision uh, called the Staff Sergeant Parker Gordon Fox Grant Program. And this grant program provides up to $750,000 a year per organization, local and state organizations that are on the ground doing the Lord's work and suicide prevention. They may not be suicide prevention programs, but they may be helping veterans with transportation, helping veterans with acute financial stress upstream problems like we don't want to wait till a veteran has to call a crisis line we don't want to wait until they already have these issues and they're spiraling and these symptoms catch them when they're having these problems before it becomes a critical mass of despair and they decide to what put seems a gun to them. happen when they get out so the transition of getting out needs to change well, it's like uh, yeah, I mean, it's a combination. Transition needs to change, but then our approach to to intervene, uh, intervening, it needs to be upstream. Stop being reactionary. And that's yeah. a fundamental problem with the VA is that you're asking them to call the crisis line and you're asking them to see a counselor and get pills when there's already a problem, right? Um, when there's already a problem that has that is metastasized to such a point that they have no hope yeah. and they feel despair. They don't have a problem anymore. they got a problem with pills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what it turns into. Yeah. They go in there for one thing, it fixes it, but then the thing that fixed it becomes the problem. Yeah. And, and then, then you've got to take another pill for the side effects of that pill. Yeah, I mean, right. I knew... I knew. And our, our guys and girls are smart enough to know that, that that's a never-ending cycle. We yeah. don't play like that. So I guys, hate the pills. Yeah. So much. I mean, I had a friend of mine who, at one point, he was on nine different medications. Nine. I'm like, that's... That's ridiculous. Yeah, I for mean, a thirty-five-year-old. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, I, and it's just you get so far down that rabbit hole that you it's it becomes so hard to yank yourself out of it, right? And uh, so, yeah, the the Fox Grant program gives money to these nonprofits uh, that are that are fixing these kind of upstream problems, uh, but. VA has a record historic budget, and it is less than one tenth of one percent of their record budget. It's a tiny percentage, 
and it's housed within the mental health department. My content and the, like the VA is like a large ship with a very small rudder. Anytime you want to change it, it takes a long time yeah, to yeah. change it directions. Um, and which is a good thing most of the time. Yeah, I mean, second largest federal agency in the government and the largest healthcare system in the country. Their consistency is is good. Why don't the congressmen and senators have to use the VAs? Uh, well, I mean, they. I think the House and the Senate have their own like. You know, Cadillac Healthcare. Or is that us to keep them out? Because if you didn't serve, we don't want you in our house. Yeah. Marcus said this several years ago, and I think it's one of the best things that he's ever said is every... Uh, will you marry me? <laughs> yes. That was a good one. <laughs> that was. We just had our anniversary, by the way. Oh, congratulations. Um, yes. The, when you said about all um, public servants should have to use the VA, yeah. our president... Yeah. Our congressmen, our senators, everyone that works for the government yeah. should have to use the VA. Yeah. I mean, I've always used the VA. I worked for uh, Senator And why Burr. can't we recruit the best doctors out of the, not, out of, not only out of school, but out of the community? So I know they rate each other. Yeah. And if you rate in the top 10, we're snagging you. Yeah. And we'll pay you whatever you're worth. We can do that. And then you can go about your way. But our guys and girls should have the best. That shouldn't be an issue. Yeah. The problem you have is that uh, there's a common saying amongst veterans, like if you've been to one VA, you've been to one VA. Because some of them are great. You know, yeah, some so of them are good. Yeah, yeah. Other ones are terrible. Ironically, the one in D.C., which should be the Taj Mahal of VAs because of its proximity to the White House, Congress, and the VA, is awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the one I use. But, um, you know, the one in North Texas uh, is is pretty good. We did a survey of veterans there, and they all really like their care at that VA. Mm-hmm. Um so I feel like some of them do, but it's the problem is it's such a massive organization that it's hard, even when Congress says, you guys need to do this, this is a reform we want you to make, implementation of that in different areas of the country, like implementation in LA is going to be completely different than it's oh, going to be in that. Bozeman, Montana. I get that. That's, right? that's the same thing with Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine. Yeah. I, I completely understand. Different cultures. Different, different cultures. Yeah. But we have the money. The money is in there, so it's just a matter of... <laughs> yeah, you're damn right we got the money. Yeah, we got the money, so it's just a matter of getting it done. <laughs> yeah. So when you're doing these surveys about suicide and you're saying that there is money that's going to, you know, that was pushed through this act, there's money that's going to different organizations that help with the upstream, what are those organizations? You can find a list uh, if you just Google uh, uh, Parker, Staff Sergeant Parker Gordon Fox grants. Um, they'll the VA is required to disclose who they give all that money to. Do you know like what kind of organizations? Well, are? so uh, of the last few years, I know um, organizations like America's Warrior Partnership, the one that I that I talked to, they they got uh, a grant. Um, I think Wounded Warrior Project got a grant. Like I think the problem with the implementation of this so far has been uh, that some organizations, you know, not necessarily Wounded Warrior Project, but uh, it's meant for local organizations, right, that are doing work on the ground that have mm-hmm. the interface with the veterans. And because they only gave organizations like a one-month window to apply, um, a lot of the the smaller organizations didn't have the time to do that because they don't have a full-time grant writer on staff. They don't. Ha- it's a full-time job mm-hmm. reporting back to the VA for that much money. 
So um, some of the state level organizations and larger organizations that don't necessarily need the money got money. Mm. Um, but yeah, you can look up the full list uh, on VA's website. But it's the but still, it's one hundred and seventy four million dollars over a three year period, which is again less than one tenth of one percent of the VA's budget, and it needs to be expanded because less than fifty percent of veterans even use the VA, yeah. or like are even enrolled in VA we healthcare. Don't. Yeah, right. And and so, so think about that. Not even have, and then the, so those that do have that kind of budget. Yeah. If you took that budget and gave and spread it equally among all the veterans, yeah. how much would that be? Uh, Astronomical. Yeah. I mean, you could go into anywhere at any time and have anything done, no matter yeah. what. Then go out and buy a new Cadillac. Well, that's every not even day. so. Let, so there's 18.4 million veterans or 17.4 million veterans in the United States per the census in 2021. Like I said, less than half of them, I think 9 million-ish are enrolled in VA. But even fewer than that, I think it's like 4 million a year that actually use the VA on a recurring basis. The 9 million is just people that are enrolled in the VA system, sure. right? Yeah, right? So there's like 4-ish million veterans that use it on a regular so basis. Let's say five. You got a budget of 340-something billion dollars and That's 450 thousand employees. That's so nice. Think about right. that. It's huge, right? But, but think like, about that money that can go to each one of those those people and the staff. Yeah. <laughs> that is nice. How, how yeah. is there a problem? Yeah. Well, I, there's, um, again, implementation. When you say it out loud like that, it, it sounds pretty simple. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it does. But um, you have issues with different employees, like accountability. Oh, I know what the problem is. Yeah, I get that. Well, I get I that. We come into play. Humans. Yeah. We get in the way. Yeah. and well, it's. I would be curious to somehow survey okay so these organizations got this funding how many lives did they save like statistically were there the same amount of suicides in that area if it's supposed to be local organizations so is it actually helping yeah. like how do you monitor that that's tough. I mean, each of these each of these organizations are required to provide the VA with this is how many veterans we've helped and referred to these organizations or referred for things. It's hard to prove a counterfactual though. Like you can't you can't prove like we stopped this person. Well, you can't from, prove it, but you can yeah. just take statistically how many people are committing suicide. Well, that's in a this whole area. other problem. Is the VA gets their data from the CDC nationally on suicides, and there's a whole there was another organization that did a study. Uh, that is saying that uh, the VA wildly undercounts suicides because they don't they don't count uh, largely uh, overdose deaths because the CDC gets their death data from states. Every state codes certain deaths different ways. So California, Texas, they'll, they'll do collection of death data. They don't have a uniform system to to say that this person was definitely a veteran. Um, the DoD does not share data with states that says this is all the people in your state that did serve, right? So not everybody gets tagged as a veteran when they when they kill themselves using pills. The VA, uh, different states don't code it as a suicide because it's like an accidental overdose. They call self-injury mortality. So they collect that data, it goes to the CDC, the CDC gives it to the VA. So the data might be wrong, right? Mm -hmm. we, we don't really know how to analyze it. I've always wondered how that's actually uh, Yeah, told. I got a question about that yeah. too. So the budget that the, the VA has, it gets, they get that same amount of money every year. Marcus is no, like, wait, it, they get too um, much money. <laughs> no, it, I mean it changes for the. I mean the the VA's budget since two thousand eighteen. Uh, no, so but I mean they get more money every year. Typically, yeah. Uh, okay, so we just established how much money for one year could go to every veteran and the staff. 
and most of us don't even use that money. Yeah. So it rolls over to the next year, but we need the same amount coming in. What, well, what a lot of hell? that money, a lot of that money is so more than half of the money that they get every year. Um, as with all other government programs, you have mandatory spending and and you have uh, discretionary spending. Discretionary spending is like the stuff Congress has to appropriate every year. It's money for healthcare. It's money for That's what they're this, arguing that. about. Yeah, right it's now. what they argue about. Mandatory funding is like Social Security. Congress does not have an option to pay it out, and for veterans, that includes disability compensation. That includes uh, GI Bill payments. That includes things that like you, the VA has to give you. I get that. If you and then on top of right. that, we had that three odd some billion dollars for the VA. Yeah yeah, 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 right. Yeah. If I gave you that amount of money in one year, and you came back to me the next year and said you needed the same amount of money, and we already fixed what was wrong with you, I, I, I wouldn't understand that. Yeah, I mean, they're, the VA last year for this record budget, they argued. Um, you know, somewhat correctly that uh, healthcare costs like has have inflation's a thing for everybody, including for well, because people use the VA as their regular. It's their regular healthcare. Yeah, and uh, oh, I was talking to a guy about that. Yeah, I go, hey, why don't we just give all of our guys and girls an ID? Their ID when they get out, they can go into any hospital they want, and like because they like we have we like having our own thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't. It's like the team. I, well, I completely understand the concept, but I didn't think about it till they said it to me. I didn't think about it like that. I was like, yeah. We got a section of our guys and girls that live that. They love yeah. it. And th- that's their thing. It's our thing. Yeah. Whether you hang out in it all the time or you don't. I'm I'm just now getting to where I really enjoy the veteran space. Yeah. <laughs> it took me it just took me a minute. I yeah. mean I, that's just the way it is. But now when I run into them, it's a ball. Yeah. And um I understand that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there, that's a huge argument, too, for a long time. When and the, I get it. I understand. I completely understand it. Like, the Mission Act passed, and that was a way... The Phoenix waitlist scandal back in 2014, where veterans were dying on secret waitlists, right? The Congress passed Choice and then passed the Mission Act in 2018, and that uh, that gave veterans the option to go use community care providers. A lot of people were like, oh, you know, certain people want to privatize the VA, right? Which wasn't the case because, again, the VA's budget has increased every year, and we've been doing all this stuff. Privatize it for uh, us. Well, like, if you want to use it, if the VA cannot provide you care within a certain time or distance, they should automatically refer you to community providers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, that met with some resistance, and there's still a debate today going on. Like, should we, should we give veterans, you know, should, should we account for veterans' preference on what they want to do? The answer is, of course we should, right? But isn't that what TRICARE is? Well, not. I mean, Tricare is for people that are like retired or um, uh, like dependents on active duty and stuff like that. Like, so you can't get Tricare if you don't retire. Correct. I, yeah, I, don't, don't I do. didn't know that. I actually didn't know that we were eligible for Tricare yeah. until 2018. Yeah. We got married in 2010. Yeah, I paid private insurance for us. For eight years, not knowing. I had no one coached me on any of the military stuff. I never claimed any of my benefits. Marcus never thought about it or anything. I didn't think about them. We had this huge, our whole family, literally all of us, came down with the most horrible flu in 2018, like in January or something. And our freaking deductible was stupid huge. It was like two grand per person. We all were in the hospital. And I was like, why do we have to pay all this money? And somebody said, why don't you have TRICARE? And can I just pause real quick and say how ridiculous it is that you, of all people didn't know what your benefits were like nobody yeah. nobody nobody thought to be like hey marcus you know this is what you need to go do and i mean 
the 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 level of of uh, communication and messaging when people get out, whether you're medically retired or you retire after 20 years or blended retirement or whatever the case may be, um, like there needs to be really a reverse boot camp where people get sat down and they get taught all this stuff. These are your resources and this is what you want to do. Um, sometimes I get kind of dejected. Like working in D.C. is is awful enough because it's a very transactional town and it's very transient. It's hard to make good friends there and people are just frankly not as friendly as they are in Texas. Um, but you feel like Let's you have the same clear. There's no other place like Texas. There is not. God, <laughs> God bless. Um, there there's, but you feel like you have sometimes the same conversations with the same people about the same problems over and over again. And, and little, if anything really changes meaningfully. Now, again, I'm, I, I, I think we have made meaningful progress over the last, you know, five, six years. But sometimes I'm just saying it feels like when yeah. you're when you're in this, it's well, just it's a, yeah, it's, always, yeah, yeah. it's a slog. It's a slog. And I don't know who gets this and who doesn't, but he had a care coalition advocate. Let's just say she didn't like me. Yeah. Um, Is that the SOCOM care coalition? Yes. Yeah. And she, there were <laughs> she just didn't like me that's all i'm gonna yeah. say that's that there's nothing false about that yeah. so i i received no information yeah and then there was her no more so we we didn't have anybody else that took her place yeah and we had that's where the communication fell through but there should have been someone giving us information about all of our i still don't know what all of our ben yeah. benefits are i just know that we're eligible for yeah. tricare that's how you know jim lorraine right yeah socom care coalition yeah mm -hmm. i mean and, and backing up to your point like no knock on special operations in the community mm -hmm. but like it's a tight-knit community there's there's a lot of attention uh focused on that community because of the work that you know that, that they do um for the general population, there's like even less than than what the special operations community has, and and frankly, the special operations community, um, you know, you've got a lot of uh, different foundations and and things like that where there's a lot of attention paid from uh, corporate and business leaders and sponsors because uh, you know it's it's the high speed part of the military that mm -hmm. gets a lot of focus and attention. Um, and and so there are more resources on the civilian probably side than there are for like the average veteran mm -hmm. and it's easier to navigate because it's a smaller group of people where word of mouth is easier like hey man you're having this problem like go go see my buddy at this foundation mm -hmm. or this nonprofit right so it just every time i hear stories like that it astounds mm -hmm. me that even like you did not know yeah. and did not have as 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 much as the resources and 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 good things that you guys have that you didn't know yeah right? I, it it blew my mind when I found out we didn't have to pay whatever it was. It was a ridiculous amount every month for in private insurance. And, um, yeah, I just found out in 2018. It came, went into effect in 2019, and I haven't been happier <laughs> about insurance. I earned that. <laughs> he I earned that. Ass. I know. I'm, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, babe, we <laughs> actually have insurance. This is awesome. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well. I spent a lot of time in the hospitals, man. Yeah. yeah. That's how I get, when I wake up in there, I know I get to rest. Yeah. And you truly put out if you're bleeding, right? <laughs> That's how you know, man. If you're bleeding, if you end the day bleeding, that means you've had a hard day. Yeah. If you wake up in the hospital, it's vacation time. Yeah. Well, I love that you're doing all this stuff for veterans and you've got. Yeah, what, what kind of. Yeah, what the K is. Uh, 
Kai's Canines. Kai's Canines. Yeah. Um, how can people find out about that? Uh, KK9S.org. Uh, you can go. Um, honestly, it's, it's uh, you know, I don't pay myself from that. It's, it's a, but we're doing great work. We have already helped 10 veterans uh, and their dogs who have, one got hit by a car, a single mother of four that's a total disabled veteran, $6,000 vet bill that we covered for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so doing, doing good work there. Um, and, uh, mission roll call, obviously we already talked yeah. about how people can get involved in that. So, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again for coming out, brother. Yeah. yeah thanks, thanks for, for having telling me. your story. That's yeah. cool. We can, de- we definitely get passionate about all the veteran stuff, anything. Yeah. And Marcus wants to create this big network or somehow create where everyone can get in touch with each other. There needs to be some sort of interactive, yeah networking i've seen us move in the battle space like the way we can coordinate and get things done yeah. and we're, we're we're large but we're not that large yeah and I, i've been around two the, the greatest gift i got when i got my ass kicked like that it opened a lot of doors i get to go into y'all's houses and, and, and now i get to see all this and I'm like, hey man i'm i'm gonna get this done i'll get it done i don't know how i'll get it done but there should be no transition from the time you go in to the time you get out you just take the uniform off get your civilian clothes but your benefits everything yeah it's just seamless get in your town get a job i don't care what it is but not worrying about dumb stuff yeah yeah Sorry, uh, you know it, it, the last thing i'll just say is that um it can be frustrating sometimes working in this community uh just because you feel like you that there are problems that are unsolvable but um, but I'm constantly going around the country heartened by what veterans are, are doing to continue to serve their communities and to continuing to serve their state and, and our country. And especially at a time where we seem so massively divided, we could have the ability to take those lessons of like shedding our differences and coming together and working together as a team. I'm proud that Texas right now leads the nation with the number of veterans serving in Congress at 11. Um, you know, we've got a state that has had two presidents who served and there's a strong tradition. You want to do another podcast right now about Texas, but I'll do I mean, it. You know I mean, I can talk Don't about Texas all day talking long. About my, you know, my girlfriend's Texas, from Long man. Island and the first time she ever rode a horse was when we went down here <laughs> and I talked to her all the time about every time we come down here and it's a shining day, I'm like, God has shined his countenance down upon Texas. I mean, you know? a song about <laughs> we've got Whataburger, Tex-Mex, I mean, frozen margarita machine queso. is in the Smithsonian in DC. You know I mean? Like, what do you want? God. What more do you want? Greatest state in the country. I mean, I mean, only state that was a former country. Like, what do you want? What do you want from us? So Marcus and I, we talked about it a lot and we haven't really done it, but we talked about doing this, this thing at the end of every podcast called Texas Tidbits. Oh, let's do it. And we give somebody wow. just some valuable information about Texas. I know we just mentioned a few, but is there any thing that you would tell someone from like your girlfriend from new york so or... like if you move here oh yeah because yeah. we got a, such an influx from california i got the perfect from... thing so oh, here yeah, is yeah. our texas tidbit every time i mention this to people it blows their mind that we have an entire year in seventh grade that it is mandatory that you have to take a year of texas history yeah and they're like what kind of cult is it down there? And I'm like, yes. And we also say the Pledge of Allegiance to Texas after we say the Pledge of Allegiance to uh, the United States. Every, I'm like, what are you guys doing down there? Raising, I'm like, we're raising people that are proud of their state. What do you want? When I was in school and cause I went to a small private school and um, all my kids go to a, the same uh, private school. I don't know if public schools do this or not, but we in seventh grade, we do the Texas tour. And you go 
to the Capitol. Oh, yeah. You go to the Alamo at with your grade. Like, it's a big field trip. Like, yeah. a three-day... Was it three days? It was a few days long. Yeah. Like, you actually... And when... Um, Hunter was in seventh grade. Rick Perry was uh, acting governor, and he actually met with the class in the. That's pretty cool. Yeah, in the Capitol, it was really, really <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, but you had to go do all these different things, and um, and then on top of that, you it was mandatory that you took pictures in front of like twenty different historical markers and explained what they were. So come on, that's really cool. Also, fun fact. The Texas State Capitol is taller than the United States Capitol. Yes. You know. I love that. And we invented the frozen margarita machine for anybody that likes margaritas. (laughs) You're welcome. Those are great Texas tidbits. I love that one. I'm sorry. I I packed in in three in one. Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Waterburger and Bucky. We have such a hat trick. You have to hit all three of them. Talk about United States soft power. Texas has soft power. I go to Italy and I tell people like I'm from Texas. They're like, they're like, they're like, oh, you're a cowboy. And I'm like, well, I mean, not everybody rides their horses to church on Sunday in Texas. (laughs) I mean, I did, but like. We have. Not everybody does, you know. I saw my frat brothers ride their horses into the bar. Yeah. Right? Oh so it's still a thing. And there's a difference. When they say cowboy, you can say, oh, Texans. Yeah. It's like Cowboys fan, Dallas yeah. Cowboys, yeah. or Houston Texans. Yeah. So that's a split with the Texans. Yeah. With being a Texan. Or more recently in the World Series, or not the World Series, the ALCS. That was so difficult. Houston and the Rangers. I, it's like rooting for your kids, right? Yeah. It's like, man, we people ask me about it. I was like, how'd it go? I was like, well, I was born in Houston, and yeah. I'm right at the line of when that goes yeah. down. But if there's somebody playing from Texas, you have to right. root for them. I mean, I remember, because I went to A&M in uh, uh, 2006, Texas was in the national championship uh, against USC. And there is no love lost between Texas and that A&M. That was a great game. But I rooted for Texas, because I'm like, I'm going to root oh, for the Texas that team. That was a you great know? game. <laughs> great game. Greatest college football. Freaking great game. Oh. But that was an amazing greatest, game. Greatest great fall, game. college football game oh. of all time. And it, and it pains me to say that as an A&M graduate, but like, you know, they had two Heisman Trophy winners, Leinert and Bush, and then Lendell White was running all so, over yeah. them, and Vince Look, Young, last minute, Matthew, fourth and five. We have Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. Thank you. You're all welcome. right, all right, all right. Yeah. And Sandra Bullock lives here. And Dennis Quaid. And Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid. Uh, Dennis Quaid's got an initiative right now where he's trying to get, and uh, Matthew McConaughey are trying to get more actors to come uh, act in Texas. Uh, that's a that's a huge thing. So right uh, now. we should we're recruiting all the kick ass actors. Yeah. Woody Harrelson. Terry. We Woody. also have yeah. um, right all here. All these men from, help raise him. Hey, raise me, man. Okay, mm-hmm. we are on the Tomball Magnolia border. That's our little towns that we live in. In Tomball, you've got um, Lyle Levitt mm. is from Tomball. Yeah, our local Chili's is dedicated to him. Jimmy yeah. Butler. And Jimmy Butler. Yeah, Cody uh, Johnson. Yeah, uh, and well, we could go on um, George Strait. Oh gosh, I Nolan mean, Ryan. Okay. George Strait, yeah. Nolan Ryan. Like, come on, I mean, California, get out of here. We with have your nonsense. the uh, Eli Young band. Roger is Clemens. From yeah. I mean, we do we do we need we just we should stop there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Troy, Aikman. We, we can go on forever. Troy, Troy. <laughs> so that's our Texas tidbits for today. Yeah, Texas tidbits. Joe Rogan lives here now, and we have Elon. Yeah, yeah. we have the coolest. State. I think uh, we do have Elon, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and he right, doesn't live here, but Jeff Bezos is building some, you know, clock in West Texas that's going to survive humanity. So, <laughs> okay. Texas will survive. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll survive. Oh yeah. my gosh. Well, thank you so much for coming down. Really interesting talk. Learned a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, for all the listeners out there, thank you for listening in, and we will see you guys next week. <laughs>